Sean Aldridge, and uh, this is who I am. and logoist um sean welcome to the show uh, thanks for having me on man you're welcome it's uh, good to finally talk to you i think i saw you wandering around at the um emerald city comic-con maybe four years ago that was about the as close to talking to you as i got but <laughs> <laughs> um yeah man that was i guess it was about I'm trying to think of what happened that show oh man i was probably just like what i I don't do well around crowds a lot of times, mm. so I probably look pretty standoffish most of the time. No, you I think I have a permanent grump face or something. <laughs> it's hard not to have that face on those shows. They're so um, you're so uh, focused on navigating through huddles of people. But. <laughs> exactly. So you are a comic book writer. Oh uh, yeah, I um, <clears throat> did a done a few things i wrote um the first work that anybody probably knows is uh vic boone which is a little creator owned uh character i did gosh i guess it's been maybe six years ago now mm-hmm. um for uh 215 inc put it out which is a little small publisher based out of philadelphia mm-hmm. uh, um and then did some other stuff, a uh, uh, couple of shorts for this anthology that uh, Jeff McCombsy and gang put out called Fubar, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of world history mixed with zombies, um, all little shorts and stuff like that. And then um, did what else? Man, it's hard to think. It doesn't <laughs> seem like you ever do anything. But then when you're trying to think of it, you're like, oh, I guess I've done a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, and then the next big thing probably was um, uh, my miniseries through Vertigo, uh, which was called The Dark and Bloody, mm-hmm. and did that with artists Scott uh, Godlewski and uh, Trish Mulhill as the colorist, um, editor Jamie Rich and Molly Mohan, or Mahan, maybe? Hey, I think it's Mahan, so... You can edit that part out. Uh, <laughs> edit, edit in the correct pronunciation. Uh, and then that's about. And I'm currently doing the uh, hack slash Vampirella crossover mm-hmm. yeah. coming out through Dynamite. Yeah. Um, you just announced that, didn't you? So. Yeah, yeah. And that's been fun. Uh, I sent in the last issue scripts. I guess about a week ago. Mm-hmm. So. How many uh, issues is it going to be? Uh, five issues. Oh, nice. Um, so it, it's a cool little. I thought it was going to turn into one story and it turned out to be a different story, um, which is cool, which is how sometimes comics work. You know, mm-hmm. you sit down and you you sort of pitch it and, and everybody's like, oh, okay, this is great. And then, you know, as you get to working on it, it sort of evolves into something slightly different. I mean, the general the general premise is always still there, but mm-hmm. but it was fun. It's it's probably the. I don't want to say it's the most fun I've had working on something because I always have fun when I'm working on anything, but it's probably the most fun story I've written in a while because, you know, The Dark and Bloody was pretty, pretty, pretty effing heavy. Mm-hmm. For, uh, there wasn't a lot of joy in that book, but this one's, 
This one's a, a cool little, it almost turned into a sort of a, a buddy cop mm-hmm. uh, approach, buddy cop movie. But So we'll see. Hopefully people dig it. I, I dug it. Mm. Nice. And you said you grew up in Kentucky or you are from Kentucky? Yeah, yeah. That's where I was, uh, was born in Kentucky mm-hmm. um, and then sort of bounced around early on. My dad was Air Force, so it's like born oh, okay. in Kentucky, lived in Upper Peninsula, Michigan for a while. Um Lived in Okinawa, Japan for a while, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and then ended up back in Kentucky until I moved out to Portland, really. I mean, it stops in between. I lived in Savannah for a while, and um, Savannah, Georgia, going to art school there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I always got pulled back to Kentucky for, for various reasons, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And then um, then finally ended up in you know Portland, Oregon. Mm-hmm. And it's the only place that's kept me away from uh Kentucky this long. I think I'm approaching living in Portland longer than I I lived in Kentucky, I think. No, it can't be possible. It's getting yeah. close. And so, um were you, were you a reader back then? Um Yeah, my uh uh growing up always read, always loved reading um and stuff and took to it pretty early on um just in general, you know, like reading you know when you're six years old you're reading whatever mm-hmm. um but it really took off when uh my aunt who was a big science fiction um fantasy uh reader she was like a member of you know the science fiction fantasy fan club where you mm-hmm. got you know book clubs for 10 bucks you know hardbacks or whatever um and so I guess it was around when I was like 11 or 12, I just started borrowing books from her. We'd go over, you know, and play like cards with, you know, her and um, my uncle and and stuff. And I just kept, I was like, oh, this has got some dragons on it. Let me snag this. You know, <laughs> I like dragons. Let me see what this is. And really just started devouring just like all of her books because mm. um, they were always there and I could hold on to them as long as I wanted or she would recommend books to me. She goes, oh, I think you'd really like this. Right. You know, so and that's all she, you know, she read. And oddly enough, that's the I, I think I was just exposed to people reading like nonstop, like my grandmother. Mm-hmm. Uh, like that's all she did all day was just read. She just read mass markets laying on the couch. Right. Just constantly, you know, and she's breathed. So, and I mean, she was, you know, at an advanced age at that time. She's probably like in her, you know, early 80s. And so it just became, it was always around the house, yeah. so to speak. That was a, what everybody, you know, um, I mean, in my family, it's going to sound so egotistical. My family, you know, was always viewed as like the smart one, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that was what everybody always just, it was like, what is it? Just get them books or something. You know what I mean? So it was <laughs> just like, that's what people got me. You know, my aunt, like when I was, and it was probably one of the best Christmas presents I ever got was, uh, she got me a subscription to zoo books. Mm-hmm. which is this these little, you know, flimsy magazines, you know, geared towards kids that are animal facts. And each month it, um, you know, would be a different animal or a different, you know, sort of species they'd highlight or whatever. Yeah. And uh, she the, for like three Christmases in a row when I was a kid, she got me a subscription to that. It was like the best thing because I knew once a month I was going to have something new to read, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I ended up with a lot of useless animal facts that, you know, <laughs> some of them I've still managed to retain, even in this situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there, there's yeah. um, animals in a couple of your stories that have, have popped up, so there's... Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, and I think maybe that's where it comes from. Maybe that's why I always try to like wrangle in some sort of animal sidekick <laughs> into everything that I write. It's from zoo books. Hmm. Were there any uh, authors that you remember being struck with when you when you were reading that, that you wanted to find out more about them or get more of their work, or was it just anything that you devoured? Anything. I mean, it was a while before I started like really picking up on the differences. And, you know, I mean, you always sort of knew what you liked and what you didn't like in a sense, like, ah, I didn't really like this book all that much, but it never, I guess it was, I want to say Terry Pratchett, Mm, mm -hmm. like, like his stuff. I really like, I, I knew when I read his, the first thing that my aunt gave me of his, I immediately went back and read like everything she had from him. Mm hmm. Right. So it's like, oh, this is like great. This is like totally up my alley, right? It's sort of this absurd take on, you know, um, and and very sort of. I mean, to me, it seemed very British, right? Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't know what do I. My exposure <laughs> written was, um, you know, Monty Python growing up. So, yeah. so if there was any sort of absurdist slant to anything, then it was like, oh, it's, this is very British. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So Terry Pratchett was, I'm trying to think of who else. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I read The Hobbit mm-hmm. pretty young and that stuff was, you know, that infatuated me for a while. Um, and then I'm trying to think of who else, man. It's like there should be Stephen R. Donaldson, like mm-hmm. his Thomas Covenant Chronicles. Um, the first three books are really, really like blew my mind. I mean, I find them problematic now, um, given what one of the key events is. But when I was, whatever, 13, when I read those, I was just like, Jesus, like this is heavy. Mm-hmm. Like, this is not like any kind of fantasy book I've read, you know. Um, and uh, so, so people like that. And then later on, it just became, you know, sort of as I didn't grow away from science fiction fantasy. I just sort of started reading other things more. Um it became like, you know, a lot of crime writers mm. too. You know? um, like I'm a big, huge Chester Himes fan, um, and I think he's like horribly, horribly underrated, mm-hmm. um, both as a crime writer and as a, an African American writer. Um, like a lot of people just know about his his, his crime books that deal with uh, Coffinetted and Gravedigger Jones, which are these two sort of Harlem um, detectives. Mm-hmm. And uh, but his his, you know, straight fiction, uh, no whistles and bell stuff is just is just some phenomenal, phenomenal literature. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there was that stuff. And then, you know, you mold into other things, you know, when you're reading just sort of, you know, like at Powell's. I worked at a bookstore for close to 15 years um, mm-hmm. and you get more exposed. And that's sort of I got started falling in love a lot more with like sort of Dennis Johnson's work and stuff like that. A lot of stuff that was non genre, mm-hmm. uh, and everything. And so, so there's that, but I mean, I guess early on, I guess Terry Pratchett, like now that I think about it, I guess Terry Pratchett was sort of, you know, as far as authors went, like my first big sort of like, Oh, I really like this dude and want to read everything that he has. Yeah. Do you feel like there's a, do, do you have that, that, um, you want to have absurdist stuff in your work or do you think it's more that you appreciate it and, and steer away from it because you appreciate it? Or? I think a little bit. I mean, it's funny because 
Vic Boone um, was pretty absurdist at times, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, his, you know, his sidekick is a, a, a talking human fly. Um, and then there's just these random dudes based on the, the aliens and killers from space that just pop up whenever, right? Like, there's no rhyme or reason. They're always just trying to beat up Vic Boone, and he always just, like, knocks them out. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that stuff that just kind of comes out of there, but... And I guess with Go-Getters, which was a one-issue thing, you know, um, that we had done at Monkey Brain, it was meant to go longer, but hmm. but that was pushing into sort of an absurd... That would have been probably my most absurd, you know, work and stuff. But I look at it, but it's funny because I, I look at that stuff and that's... But, you know, the stuff I've come out with that people mostly know, you know, the, the Vertigo book, you know, or these sort of, I think people see me more as a horror writer, hmm. uh, which was never my plan. Yeah. Right. Like I just wanted to write, you know, comical books, like mm. funny, ridiculous <laughs> stuff, you know, like over the top action, you know, which is why that was Vic Boone. And then, you know, later go getters and some other stuff. And then, yeah. And then, you know, when uh, Vertigo approved the Dark and Bloody, I was just like, I was like, oh, wow, I guess I'm writing this horror book. And, you know, prior to that, I mean, as close to horror as I got was, you know, some zombie short stories mm-hmm. um, that had very few zombies in them. Yeah. It's <laughs> so just like I was even then I was sort of skating around like, you know, I'm not sure I can pull off that kind of thing. So yeah. but I hope to get back to it. I mean, this this Vampirella versus Hack Slash coming out from Dynamite is pretty absurd. I mean, it's not extreme. You know, there's not like suddenly random stuff, um, you know, coming out of left field. Mm-hmm. But it never really takes itself too seriously, you know, and sort of points out. Um, you know, it's, it's it's not satire by any stretch of the imagination, but it it's sort of. It looks in upon itself, you know, like these sort of like crossovers or, or the standard fare of when two, you know, sort of, quote unquote, heroes meet each other mm-hmm. and kind of thing and um, and stuff like that. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, at, at heart, I, I'm just sort of I'm more of a like a ridiculous kind of cheesy dude that wants to do <laughs> cheesy, fun comics. Right. It's like but it's, you know, um but then there's that other side where, I, you know, a lot of sometimes the ideas you get are a lot heavier than what you intended. But, mm-hmm. you know, and again, I go back to that, that I think that's what I appreciated about the Spamparella hack and slash was that sort of I think that that want to do something a little bit more fun and 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 ridiculous um, sort of built up. And that's why it sort of took a you know, a turn from what it originally was meant to be. And it was kind of meant to be when I thought like, okay, what I'm going to do this, it's going to be heavy. You know, there's going to be yeah. some, you know, classic horror. And it just, it just decided that it wanted to be this fun, ridiculous, you know, romp with the occasional person getting their heart ripped out, you know, it's <laughs> sort of that, but, mm. um, uh, when did, uh, when did comics come into to it for you for, as a reader first? Or? Oh, it was, uh, I always tell this story. This is like the, the um, I'm sure there might be people out there that know it by heart, but uh, growing up when I was, I guess it's probably like seven or eight. Um, my uncle Paul was a huge, huge comic book reader. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had been in it forever. Like he was, you know, but he was my dad's older brother. One of my dad's older brothers. Um, 
And uh, when he got in, I mean, you know, he had like, you know, all the early, you know, what would be the big money comics now. That's when he was reading comics. Um, and then he got drafted into the Navy uh, to fight in Vietnam. Mm. So he sold all of those comics to a guy for a quarter, not a quarter apiece, just wow. all of them for a quarter. <laughs> so it was like, you know, he had, um, you know, first appearance of Spider-Man, first appearance of the Avengers, mm-hmm. all this stuff. And he didn't know. I mean, back then they weren't, you know, worth anything, you know. Yeah. Um, nobody knew that they would be. But anyway, so he'd gotten out of that. But uh, when he came back, he, he had a couple of jobs. But one of them was he was working at a grocery store. Um, and that's when comics were still on the newsstand. Mm-hmm. And uh, so some people know this, some people don't. Well, and this is the case with magazines, too. Um, at the end of their cycle on on newsstands, uh, you just rip the cover off and that's what you send back to the publisher. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's makes, you know, the packaging smaller and they can still account for the number of copies that didn't sell. Mm-hmm. And then you just took the the contents, the inside contents, and just tossed them in the trash. Yeah. Um, well, my uncle wouldn't do that with the comics. He would just stack them neatly next to the dumpster. And then when his time <laughs> got off, he would go grab these stack of colorless comics. <laughs> uh, you know, and then he would bring them over to me and my dad. And so that's my, my first exposure was through him. So I was like, you know, seven, eight years old reading comic books that and for the longest time i had no idea that comics actually had covers on them right <laughs> like they would just be it was just that was it you know the first page was the first thing i saw yeah. um and then later on he was still sort of buying a few and they you know trickle in but i mean it was just stacks you know he'd bring over 40 or 50 comics yeah like every couple of weeks and i would just be like this is the greatest stuff ever you know mm-hmm. um and uh and that's who i mean i'm he's probably in a way like my biggest influence on a lot of my, my sort of like stuff that comes into my comics because I mean, it was comics. And then when I sort of moved in with my uh, grandmother who he was living with, like his big thing was anything that had anything to do with like science fiction or fantasy. Mm -hmm. We were, he was watching, right. Like, it didn't matter how, like, cheesy or horrible it was. If there was any hint of, like, lasers and magic swords. Yeah. We were, he was watching it because that's what he grew up loving. And so he exposed me to all these, like, sort of, you know, really quality science fiction fantasy movies, but also a bunch of B movies from, you know, when he was growing up and stuff. Because that was the other thing he had done before <clears throat> getting drafted was he worked at a drive-in theater. Mm-hmm. So he was just seeing movies for free, like, you know. And so it was all that stuff. I mean, all the the sort of, early, you know, the Sinbad, Harryhausen stuff oh, yeah. was like, that's that's who I got it from. And my dad, too, because my dad, you know, trickle-down effect got it from him also. So, And that was, yeah, that's a huge, I always say that Vic Boone's pretty much just a, you know, a thank you slash love letter to my uncle. Because mm-hmm. it's like all, everything that I've sort of picked up from him and was exposed to because of him, like, pushed into that book you know yeah. minus motorcycles you know, he didn't, <laughs> didn't go around riding motorcycles or anything but yeah uh yeah so i mean that's yeah comics were just yeah from the age of eight on and then um and that was sort of in between us hitting okinawa and okinawa was like the first time in this little you know convenience store 
on uh, the airbase was the first time I I actually bought a comic book with my own money, mm-hmm. and it was uh, Captain Captain Carrot and the Zoo Crew. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, that was the first comic book I ever officially bought myself. I remember it distinctly. Yeah. Um, because the whole thing was just because I was even then I was only I think I was eight at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that that totally everything about that appealed to me. You know, pig iron, abracadabra. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was the first sort of book that, you know, his hands were so random. Yeah. Um, you know, it's like you would. Uh, I was actually just talking to this to my wife the other day about I don't know how we got on the subject, but um I'm saying that, so that was always the problem with, you know, going at the convenience stores, which was early on, like the only place I knew where to get comics, was you didn't know what they were going to have month to month, you know, yeah. you sort of, and you kind of had to bounce, it almost became like a, a little sort of, uh, I guess, scavenger hunt, because mm-hmm. each convenience store, especially like in my small town, would get a different stack, you know, they were just sort of divvied up and was like, here's what you guys get, here's what you guys get, mm-hmm. so like, like Craven's last hunt. That's how I had to piece that thing together. Yeah. Um, was like going to the one that was across the street and then, you know, getting my dad to like drive me over, you know, to, uh, to the convenience store, like eight blocks away or whatever, more than eight blocks away. Um, to see if they had the, the other piece of it, you know, and, uh, cause I think that was my first, I think that was sort of the first sort of, multi-issue crossover thing that i remember mm-hmm. like being super jazzed about and like actually having to hunt this down you know yeah um but yeah captain and the carrot and the zoo crew and luckily it was always i think there was just they knew it would sell to the you know the sort of air force brats so to speak <laughs> so luckily they always had it and i had you know i think we were there at least 12 i think 12 issues of that mm-hmm Mm, yeah, I had a, a similar thing in, um, uh, not entirely the same, but um, in that, that kind of piecemeal thing. Um, in the UK, a friend of my dad's had a friend who was a, a, a trash man, garbage collector. Uh-huh. And every, maybe every three or four months, he would turn up with a box just full of comics that had been thrown out. Nice, and, nice. Yeah, and I would I would get them. I would get in there and get them, and uh, so I had all of these old Justice Leagues that were completely out of order and trying <laughs> to follow storylines. And I didn't go to a, a comic book store until um, uh, late eighties, I think. It was like eighty six or seven, or it was when Killing Joke came out. I think it was the uh, the first comic I remember seeing. At actual comic book store because it was the first time I went to one and it was right at the front of the store and um, but before then it was going to to news agents going to this little market that was uh, fairly close to where I lived where they would have random issues in boxes and and getting them from this this friend of the friend of the, my my dad's uh, it was pretty good fun trying to find them back then <laughs> yeah man it was it was a I mean you had to be dedicated you know yeah. like. My, I think the first time I remember just going to a comic book shop, there was only one in my hometown. There was like two, two sort of, I don't want to say, I guess they were both comic book shops technically, but one, one was in our mall, which was this rinky dink mall. It was, uh, and the only thing they had was like a spinner rack. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause they were a hobby shop. So mostly what they sold was, uh, 
miniature trains and then the old sort of when board games were essentially just like um, reenactments of, you know, World War II battles. Mm-hmm. Um, like you know, there was none of the, you know, settlers of Catan and all that stuff. Weren't. It was just like it was dudes who just played, you know, you know let's reenact D-Day yeah. um, with these little, <laughs> you know, cardboard things. So that's what they did. So every now and then I would grab something. I think I, I think I only remember really buying. I guess there was a couple of others, but two I remember buying there was that Batman Digital book. It was like the first oh, yeah. mm-hmm. fully computed anime, you know, computer yeah. generated comic, and then uh, Hawk World number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, but our our actual comic book shop, comic book shop, I didn't go to until. I, I mean, I guess it was. I went there before that hobby shop, but it was run by this dude named Herb. Um, and I think it was shit, man, the name escapes me, like fantasy dreams or something. Mm-hmm. Um, it was sort of like, <laughs> it sounds also stereotypical kind of bookshop stuff, but it was like on the edge of town, right? It was like this last, last building that was holding on before you hit like dead, you know, just open country road for miles and miles, <laughs> um, with the occasional factory tossed in, uh, and it was, you know, it had been standing since whatever, like 1930, probably, but not as, a, you know, a comic book shop and stuff. It seemed like it was barely held together. And mm-hmm. Herb was just this old sort of grumpy dude um, who was always like smoking a cigar. Um, <laughs> so every comic you got there always had like a distinct tinge of, of good cigar smoke for at least, you know, three weeks. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, I think he always wore wife beaters too. Hell, I can't remember. I mean, it was, I mean, it was just, it was there. And he just always seemed like, like he, the last thing he wanted to do was sell comics to kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he lived there too. I think he had an upper loft, which was like his like bed, but maybe, maybe I'm getting, maybe I'm, uh, adding a little bit to <laughs> doing a little revisionist history as they say, but, but I think as, but anyway, as like X-Men number one, like that whole, like, you know, the six different covers or whatever right. that all attached together like that. I remember like a, a group of us going there and doing um, because before that it was just sort of randomly hitting. I didn't have a hold box there or anything like that. It was just sort of if we were on that side of town, maybe I could convince my dad or, mm-hmm. you know, to like stop by there so I could go in there with, you know, three dollars and try to find something, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was never like fully organized or anything. But yeah, back in the day, I mean, it was, you know, newsstands were kind of like, you know, that was your best shot of getting anything. And then you had to just, you know, hope that you could randomly find, you know, if it was like, you know, a, a story that ran more than a, you know, a couple of issues, you know, you might have trouble finishing it off. Yeah. And like you said, when my uncle would bring me those stacks, it was just sort of like, I didn't know, you know, I was probably... You know, probably seven. I wasn't really f- like thinking like, oh, these were all attached together. You know, if, if mm-hmm. all these characters appear in the same book, I would just be like, I'm just going to read these and then whatever. Yeah. And then attach them to myself. You, you know, I'll, I'll make up my own stories to fill in the <laughs> gap, I guess. When did you start writing? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I don't know, probably. I mean, with any seriousness of like how how things work or how, how writing goes. It was probably like around 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. Um, with the idea of like, Oh, I kind of like telling stories, you know? Um, and 
and doing it like one of the th- I guess one of the first things that sort of triggered that that feeling of oh like this is something I really enjoy doing was we'd be in classes like you know say it was, I don't know it's probably a little older sixth grade or seventh grade you know and a report would come up you know you're like oh you have to do this group report um, and you know but you can do it any way you want to right mm-hmm. and so. At that time, you know, we'd get stuck with the group. My idea was always like, let's do a videotape, right? Mm-hmm. I'll just script out this like, this this movie for us, or you know, like one we did was um, crap. I can't even remember how was some American pioneer man. We were doing a, a report on him, and so <laughs> we actually made this like short little action movie and everything for it. And then like another one was, uh, oh, we were doing a, a book report on um, bless the beast and the children. Mm-hmm. And so I had written this whole like sort of like, I don't know, 15 minute uh, fake news story about the whole thing where the kids like drive the bus over the, the edge of the cliff and everything like that. I'm sure there's very <laughs> few people listening to this podcast who've read Blessed the Beast and the Children, um, <laughs> unless you were made to and and uh, in school or whatever. But the, the short of it is Blessed the Beast Children, if and I probably haven't read it since then, since I was probably like 12 or something. But uh, it's these kids at a summer camp and these buffalo are getting killed and the kids set out to save them. So it's mm-hmm. all very like, it's all kind of like very like late. I can't remember when it was written. It might have been 60s, 70s. I can't, I can't recall. But it's very that sort of like, let's save nature kind of thing. I mean, I'm sure it's a good book. Mm-hmm. But at 12 years old, you know, it was just like, you, you know. When they made you read a book, you didn't kind of enjoy it as much as if you just they let you pick a book to read. But yeah. so I guess it's around then, you know, I loved I was like, oh, wow, I actually like making up things, you know, and, and writing and stuff. And then the more it went, I mean, I was drawing at that point, too. You know, I was always doodling stuff and everything mm-hmm. like that. So that. That was the first idea. I thought I was going to be a comic book artist. I'm right. like, oh, that's that's what, you know, what you want to do. Um and as things went on, I mean, I even stuck with that for a long time. You know, I mean, I went to art school for a short period. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, just kind of was like, um, you know, I probably write a little bit better than I draw. Like, I knew I was, like, say, five steps ahead in writing where I was, like, art, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it was like, ah, maybe I just don't have the chops for art. Like, I can draw well enough, but I don't know if... I'm going to reach that level of being like really good at um, doing comic art as a whole, you know, like, uh, and I, you know, art school was like super expensive and my, <laughs> my family was super poor. And so I was sort of like, you know, I was like, ah, maybe I'll, I'll try something else, you know, and sort of switch gears. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, I just started taking writing classes and, and being a part of, you know, sort of little write writing collectives and, mm-hmm. um, and the first step I actually wrote was like short fiction and stuff like that. And then, but comic books were always there. You know, I was always trying to like hound, like, how do you, how do, how do you break in you mm-hmm. know? Um, and stuff? So, but yeah, I guess it was probably around that time I was doing those films where I was sort of like, Oh, I think this is something I would like to do for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and stuff. And, uh, and, and was somewhat decent at, I think, you know, I was decent as a 12 year old could be about stuff. Yeah. Yeah. 
it made other 12 year olds laugh. So I figured what the hell, you know, like, <laughs> here we go. like maybe, maybe this is my cue. Or this is my calling. Uh, mm. Were you, did, were you making your own comics as well at that point? A little bit. I, you know, you was more, I mean, I guess at that point I was kind of like drawing up characters and then giving them backstories. Right. Uh, and, and thinking about it. But I mean, I was always thinking too, in, in regards of like, like that's when you start thinking like, what would you do with that character? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? One of the first, I think early, early kind of experiences with that was, you know, Gins goes back to my, my comic book and reading uncle was, um, he was always a big Marvel fan. I could, when, you know, he was like really reading stuff. And then when I started buying stuff, he'd, you know, he'd read whatever I got. Mm-hmm. Um, but he had a pretty extensive knowledge of like the Marvel universe. Right. And, yeah. uh, he always would tell me about this character, the Beyonder, like who he loved. It was like his favorite kind of character of all time, I think. Mm. <laughs> um, as much as he talked about him, but he would tell me, you know, he was telling me all these stories, like, well, you know, the Beyonder, this and that, and 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 everything. And I think it was that it was like, oh, I wonder how you could do that story now. Mm. Uh, I mean, I don't have a Beyonder pitch like this. Was, <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure if I had ever written what I, whatever thoughts I had then, they'd probably be complete garbage now. But. Um, but yeah, I, I guess, you know, we talk about it and, you know, I'd write little things down, but never, you know, the first full like comic book, like I did minus like sample pages here and there was, uh, this book, me and three other friends put together, um, God, I guess in like 91, 92, 92. Uh, and that we did it, you know top to bottom, like full lettering and all that stuff. And that was a book called Blood Spill, which you can still find online somewhere. Hmm. It was a horribly, horribly written and drawn book. <laughs> and I can say that because I did both, right? Like I wrote it <laughs> through it. Because we had big things. It's like my friend was the better artist. I don't know why I didn't let him, but he was just like, he was like, oh, you should draw the first issue since it's, you know, sort of your idea. And, um, and I'll draw the second issue, mm-hmm. which I actually have the original art for that second issue still somewhere around here um like that he drew it's actually really good looking but um and that was when you did like you nothing was done on the computer so all the lettering you actually had to like sort of print out and then like you know paste to the actual art yeah and stuff but uh we did that it's again you know it's it's completely horrible completely sort of young kids making their version of a 90s book but mm-hmm. You know, we printed it and had it through like, you know, Diamond and oh, wow. uh, Capital, which Capital, I think, was still around at that time. Yeah. Uh, uh, black and white flip book. You know, there was two of us on each each story. And um, yeah, it's just I mean, it's cool. It taught me a lot about like what making comics was and stuff like that. But it's you know, but I, I have no qualms about saying it's complete garbage. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, that was sort of like the first full, like, you know, oh, this is, this is comics. Like, yeah. let's just do this, you know. Do you remember uh, how many you printed it out? Uh, too many. <laughs> Way too many. Um, God, man, I don't even know. Like, I want to guess 1,500, uh-huh. which is probably about right. Like, we got our initial order, which wasn't horrible for, like, four dudes nobody had ever heard of. Uh-huh. Um and uh, and I always joked then that we should have just said it was by like McFarlane, Liefeld, Lee, and Sylvester, mm-hmm. but never give our f- our f- 
our like first names. Yeah. <laughs> because who's going to prove that's not really our last names? Mm-hmm. Right? Like, and just, you know, go with it. Why not? Let's just see what happens. But, um, but the place we were actually, we actually used a local printer in, and, uh, Kentucky, this little mom and pa operation who never really, I don't think, had done anything like it. And did a really great job. Mm. Um, I think with my friend, him and his dad, because his parents were like fronting us the bill for it, right? Like they were like, look, you guys just pay us back. Um, yeah. And uh, they went there and we put in the initial order. And then his dad, I think it was my friend's dad, was just like, shit, let's just go with 1,500 of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and we were like, what? And we sold, you know, a fair amount. I think my friend Jeff still actually has, you know, 700 of them in his basement. <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. He, I think he's finally like, I think he donated chunks of them away, but, um, but we sold through a quite a, I mean, the ones we sold through, you know, actual shops. And then we had done a, a little local comic book show and, and went through a fair amount of those. Mm-hmm. Um, there, you know, cause people buy, you know, we got it printed. It was super cheap. I think we were selling, selling for like two bucks, you know, yeah. we're still making shit. I don't know. It's maybe a dollar an issue. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, it was a fun experience. You know, it was, it was, you know, and then that was like it for a while. Like I was just like, uh, you know, obviously it didn't take off and like, you know, Nobody randomly read it from like Marvel or DC and was like, let's just get this guy you know, <laughs> and stuff because there's no way anybody would have. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> but that was in the early 90s. And then what? what... Yeah, I think it was like 92, mm-hmm. probably. And what was happening between then and, uh, and Vic Boone? Like just trying to, you know, I was writing up. I mean, because back then, like until. I mean, I often say I think right now it's easier. There's a lot more avenues to which to break in, mm-hmm. both in the sense of like '92 through whenever, like the, the I mean, even bef- the early early days of the internet. But I mean, it was essentially like you you just had to go to cons all the time, yeah, and you know, and, and produce comics, which was a lot harder back then. You know, you were. Um, Especially for, you know, younger. And then you had to hope that you could find an artist because it wasn't like, you know, there was no. The only the art, you know, the only website I can think currently is like there are no online portfolios. Let's say that there's nothing yeah. like DeviantArt yeah. or or even Facebook or whatever, or Twitter, you know, where you could find an artist, you know, or vice versa. You know, if you were just a guy, you know, a guy who could draw and didn't know, you know, weren't that comfortable writing. Um, so you had to sort of like stumble into a partnership if you were lucky. Um, and you know, so it was like that. I mean, nobody, you know, DC and Marvel never had like open, you know, it was like, if you don't, if we don't ask you, don't send us nothing, mm-hmm. you know? <laughs> um, and so you try, you know, you, you'd pitch to smaller places or, I mean, even then I, I just, you know, you sort of didn't know how, how it worked. You know, you were sort of like, well, you know, um, like, how do I pit or how do I get stuff, you know, made without like just, you know, making up comics that I don't know how to, to get them into. I mean, we did by nine, I guess, 92, we knew how to get them into Diamond, but mm-hmm. um, but it was a lot easier then. But after that, like it was, you know, I was sort of back in my hometown, which is, this, you know, population 30,000 small town in Kentucky. Um, 
and fellow, you know, like comic would be comic creators weren't plentiful. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So, (laughs) so then I was just doing, you know, like I said, just trying to any opportunity I could see, just trying to pitch stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think about that time somewhere in there, like Marvel was like relaunching the Epic line. um, But they were doing it as like sort of a creator owned uh, slash fresh new voices Mm -hmm. line. And I, th- I think the premise was that they were going to do books with like B-level, C-level characters by sort of unknowns, right? It's like, pitch us your whatever. I mean, I'll use the ones I pitched. Pitch us your Moon Knight mm-hmm. take, you know. And it was, I think, write up a full proposal and you had to write the whole first script. Mm. Um, and then they would review it. Um, and then I think I also did, I did Werewolf by Night also. So that was it, and they selected it, but that thing fell apart pretty quickly. Um, I think just because nobody knew sort of like the amount of submissions they were going to get. I mean, I think the people sending in submissions knew, like, because it's like, man, you're opening up the floodgates to like all these readers who've always wanted to break in or write for you who've never had the opportunity, right? So. I mean, I don't know if they were thinking like they were only going to get like 300 submissions. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That'd be it. But and I think they only had like one editor with like an assistant, right. like reading all of it. So they were having to read full proposals within full comic book scripts because they were giving pretty. I think we're supposed to be. Even if you didn't get accepted, you were getting a pretty good critique. Yeah. Like slice critique. And that stuff just catches up. Right. Like you're just you're swamped because I I mean, I would think that they probably got close to. 2000 submissions you know i don't think that's an exaggeration and you just have them flooding in more and more um because as soon as you got like the the no you could immediately send another one in right so you have people doubling up and i think you know i don't think any i think maybe there was one character like marvel character book that came out from it and then like one creator own thing Mm. um that was, I think it was called, maybe it's called like a way of the gun or something. And the character, Marvel character, I can't think of at all. Um, and so there was that. And I thought I was excited. You know, you get excited. You're like, Oh, this is great. You know, this is, and this might've been, I think early 2000. So there was a pretty big gap, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and prior to that, you were just sort of, you know, you didn't know what to do. You know, you were trying to figure out like, how do I, and I got, And there was a few years there where I was sort of mainly just concentrating on writing like fiction stuff, like short fiction and everything. I'd sort of uh, got attached to this group of like uh, Kentucky writers. And that's what we were doing. You know, it was just Mm -hmm. sort of like these readings at um, places around Kentucky and stuff. And. uh, And so comics, I mean, I was still, you know, randomly doing comic related stuff like I was writing up a full like firestorm um like series Mm -hmm. like full like (laughs) scripts and stuff and mapping it out with my friend uh jeff winstead and we didn't know what we were gonna like do with it you know um and about this time i guess this was pretty late like late 90s so the the internet was you know in its infancy but you had emails and shit like that you know there was there was some stuff going on and uh like about Firestorm pitch, I think I ended up 
I felt good about it. I was like, man, you know, whatever. What the hell? Like, what am I, you know, nothing from nothing leaves nothing. Um, so one day I was just setting and, uh, and figured out like DC comics editors emails. Um, that was just sort of a combination of like initial and last name or whatever mm-hmm. at DC, whatever, you know? So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to mass email these guys. Um, like every one of them. And it was the, it was a total bullshit move. Uh, <laughs> sorry for the custom guys, but so I didn't email them like with a CC or anything. Right. I didn't tag them. I emailed each one of them saying like, Oh, Hey, I caught wind that there was a firestorm series mm-hmm. being talked about. Right. But you guys relaunching it complete bullshit. Right. There was, there's no word of a, a firestorm <laughs> comic going around. And I was like, you know, if you guys do it, I would like, you know, if, if it's cool with you guys, I'd, I'd like the opportunity to um, uh, pitch for it, you know. And so sent them, and I, you know, I sort of personalized each one and then just sent it to every editor that I could think of at, at DC. And most of them were like, oh, you know, I haven't caught, caught wind of any of the, you know, Firestorm series, but if, you know, and they may have been like, you know, if something comes up, I'll, you know, keep you in mind or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but then one, and man, I always forget which editor it was. And you'd think I would memorize this since every time I tell a story, <laughs> I never remember the name. But one editor was like, you know what? Why don't you send me what you got? Mm. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, this never happens. So back then you had to send like a package. Yeah. So, we, you know, mailed a package of like the new Firestorm costume um, here's a one page pitch. Um, I think, I don't think I threw the script in. Maybe we did. Uh, cause I think for, Jeff sent it all in and, uh, and then a few other things and was like, here's where, you know, I would take the book, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, kudos to the dude. Um, he straight up was like, you know, Hey, uh, he got back to us and was like, Hey, I read it. Uh, this is a pretty great take. Uh, unfortunately, I just don't think you guys have the name recognition to pull this book off. Mm-hmm. And he was like, but it's good. <laughs> it's, mm. it's like, well, that's, you know, cool. And that sort of was like, you know, my first experience was like, oh, yeah, just, you know, y- you do ha- sort of have to have some weight to your name. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like, they're just not going to suddenly give two dudes <laughs> who will shoot their way into sending in a Firestorm proposal. Um, a Firestorm book, right? <laughs> like a character who had, you know, who hadn't had the best publishing history prior to that anyway. Mm-hmm. It's like, let's give it to these two dudes off the street. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's, so that was, there was that. And then, you know, again, the, the epic thing. And I guess the first next big thing, um, cause again, you know, it was, it was sort of, like meeting editors was the way to get in. And if you weren't going to cons, you weren't really, you know, you weren't meeting editors, Mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't any like sort of social media to sort of, you know, um, come in contact with them or anything like that. So, but I think the next big thing was like DC's Zuda, um, Mm -hmm. which came out, which was pretty ahead of its time. You know, I hated seeing that thing not, not go as well as it should. Yeah it should still be around and it should still be, it should be a, a pretty happening place online. Yeah. I think, um, it had some really great people involved with it. Um, 
But that was, I did that. That was like the first, that was actually where Vic Boone like first appeared was mm. DC Zuda. Um, we came in second place. Um, nice. We lost out to, I can't remember. Um, <laughs> some book, I mean, it didn't, I don't think that book it, or that team that was involved with it. And this is no, I, I, I don't think they've ever gone on to do anything else. Like I don't, um, and stuff. And their thing was sort of, I can't even remember. I think it was Gulch. Maybe mm-hmm. Gulch was the name of it. Um, and stuff. But yeah, Vic Boone, like, we almost had it and didn't. It was the mo- one of the most stressful things I've ever been involved in. Because mm. uh, people don't know, Zuda was this sort of webcomic uh, thing that DC did um, to where it was sort of, I think, eight, eight comics competed each month. Mm-hmm. Um and sort of in this contest and whoever got the most fan votes and there was a weird algorithm behind scenes where it was like fan votes, favorites, views, blah, 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 all got sort of, you know, calculated up and had the best, whoever had the best score won. Yeah. And then you go on and do that book, um, you know, be it weekly updates, monthly updates mm-hmm. or whatever for, for the site and you became an ongoing series and you got paid and all that, you know, yeah, um, I think it was like eight pages or. Yeah. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. uh, um, and so, so we did that and it was cool. That was actually the first check I ever got from DC. Cause you know, again, kudos to, uh, DC. They, everybody who, you know, if you got selected for the contest, cause the contest was curated, you know, it wasn't like mm-hmm. you just put in stuff, you know, it was, um, the guys running it, you know, look through and pick the best submissions they got. And you got paid for, you know, you got a check from DC um, for, you know, the eight pages you did for the contest. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I actually stole that check in my drawer or something. <laughs> uh, I mean, it's been cash, but at least I have it <laughs> uh, And so that was fun. I mean, that was just, I mean, because it was so much about, like, getting eyes on it, you know. Yeah. And, and so many of us were unknown. Like, I think there's a few that have come out of there. I mean, that are doing like, like work, like Justin Jordan ran on there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. She always jokes that we beat him. He's like, <laughs> oh yeah. He, the, the, I was like, well, look, you know, I, I think you turned out all right. You know, <laughs> I, mean, I think things are going pretty well for you at this moment um, and stuff. And then uh, man, who else was part of there? Gosh, I know I'm going to forget people, mm-hmm. uh, but there was sort of like a good little group that, you know, it's, it's spot, you know, got some people, you know, it was a good push. Yeah. Knowing people could appreciate your stuff, even if you didn't win, you know, I gained a lot of, you know, readers for Vic Boone at least, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and that led to me doing, you know, the little three issue miniseries a couple of years later, you know, and I'd people knew it from that, that Zuda thing. Mm. Um, and I participated, I think I did a couple of, at least one more round of Zuda with this book called this Island alone. Mm-hmm. Um, or no, it was just called Island alone. Um, I can't remember what we did. I think maybe we finished third or something. I can't recall, mm. but that was a good, how long it ran for. Zuda? It was, it seemed like it was so short. It seemed like it opened. Yeah, I can't remember. It was like, I mean, it was at least, I want to say a couple of years, but man, it might not have even been, mm. let me, let me, 
let me quickly scan my phone and see if I could, if I can get the date. Because yeah. it was, it was over pretty quickly. And I think it just became, oh, for three years. So 2007. Oh, wow. Yeah, 2007, 2010. Yeah. Wasn't um, it, it was, it, it shut down because of some controversy about the voting or something like that, or someone yeah. was soliciting votes and uh, they closed the whole thing down, I think, or maybe I'm. Yeah, I th- well, I think that was the problem was, I mean, it's it's the Internet in a nutshell, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, you open something up and, you know, because they had comments like you could engage like that was, again, one of the beauties of it was, you know, your comic had its own little web, you know, sort of, you know, sub site within it. Mm-hmm. And people could, you know, favorite it, you know, vote it up. And then underneath was this, you know, comment section. Um and then there was forums attached to it too, but I think it just became to where the system was a little too easy to game, yeah. I suppose. And now whether anybody was doing that, I don't know. Like I know there was a couple of times where some suspicious stuff went on, but you know, I'm not, you know, it's so far in the past. I'm not, you know, if somebody was cheating, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and I think that's what sort of like it became to where it wasn't maybe the best comics weren't always winning. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of because these people had figured out a way to sort of, you know, bring in a huge amount of votes. Right. Because the best comic, you know, again, that was a flop. It was like maybe it wasn't the best. Maybe the person who made the best comic wasn't the best person at getting votes mm-hmm. or marketing themselves. Right. Yeah. Um because even though that was a benefit, it taught you like how to market and how to find your your audience, right? Like mm-hmm. I can spread this, you know, to everybody, but not everybody's gonna give a shit, right? Like I gotta find this this these pockets of people who I know might be interested in this. Yeah. Um because it was a bit, you know, you had to make, you know, to vote you actually had to make a little profile. Like it was pretty quick, but it was, you know, it was a step that maybe wasn't, you know, for everybody. Um, so I think in those that tell those tell in years, it was just sort of, um, yeah, maybe you know the the trolls and whatnot, you know what you want to call them, like got a, got a little too much. I don't want to say control, but we're bringing it down, right? Like mm-hmm. the the sort of nice community feel of it, um, and what it should have been, which was like, you know creators engaging with their their fans in sort of a constructive way became more of like you know people shitting on each other like mm-hmm. i mean again it's the internet in a nutshell uh <laughs> it, it, you know it, it's like for all it's good intents there's you know somebody's got to come in and screw it up um but yeah i mean i think i mean i, I just look back on that because there's screen ratio like the pages which weren't like like any others on online at that time mm-hmm. or the same ratio of what um ipads ended up being yeah mm-hmm. and zuda started prior to the ipads yeah right so if it could have just like i mean it was perfect to read you know because i saw the pages from you know that are, obviously i still you know it's like i trashed deleted the file <laughs> but that i'll read on um what's now my son's ipad but you know i'm just like man this was perfect like this like so much of this was forward thinking mm-hmm. um, that it was, you know, it's a shame, you know, because I think even 
there was even talk at some point of a little buzz of like that was going to become sort of, which I guess is in a way what DC Digital's stuff kind of is, but like a talk of sort of spinning in to where you might have those creators that were in that batch um, do like some lower level DC characters, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, why not give this dude Blue Beetle? and let them do it right what's it costing us you know to have it on this you know this this you know this platform when you know we're not doing anything else with it you know and see if it sticks you know um but yeah it was a good little run it was i met a lot of you know good people through that that sort of little community that built up around it um but yeah man it was you know it was sort of it was a good experience you know props to dc for for, you know, putting it together in the first place, you know, obviously you wish it had gone on longer, but mm-hmm. yeah. mm. you, um, you always seem that, and this might not be true, but it always seems like you enjoy pitching and it's something that you, you like that process. Is that, uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy coming up with pitches. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> I think like, you know, uh, the pitch process, like sending the stuff in, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's nice putting it out there, but, um, but it's also t- you know, there's like the, I like everything uh, uh, about it, but the stress of it, mm-hmm. you know, because what you're doing is you're, you're applying for a job, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's what pitching is. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and but I do like putting together the pitch and the world, right? I mean, I think it's a really good way. Um, to me, it's a really good way to see what you got, right? Yeah. Like I think some people sort of the first thing they want to jump into is, is sort of like let me build this whole thing. Um, you know, let me, you know, write eight notebooks of all this stuff, and I'm, and I think. For me, at least, I always try to start with, like, what's the one-page pitch for this? Mm-hmm. Um, and I have a template, and I fill it all out, so that way I know what I have, and then from there, you build it up more and more. Um, you know, you got your paragraph, and then you go from that. Um, though I do fall into the, you know, I got to know everything about this first, right? Mm-hmm. And you get lost. You know, you don't know where the story is because you're too busy thinking about all the cool shit you're going to have in it. You know, like... Like, or, or, or you're trying to figure out stuff that doesn't really need to be known at, mm-hmm. at that point of process um, and stuff. And I think if you overwork something, too, you, you end up getting stuck. You might get stuck with something that doesn't necessarily, I don't want to say it doesn't work, but you're less apt to, like, sort of get rid of it because you feel it's been there. Mm-hmm. Like it's been around so long with this, you know, attached to it that you don't want to change, you know, you get a little too attached to it and, you know, lose sight of what it is. But yeah, but yeah I mean, I pit, you know, I, I think I probably, you know, Twitter's a good, a good place where I'm, really, you know, I said a pinch in, you know, let's see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it is, you know, I mean, I guess, I guess I do enjoy it, you know, all <laughs> of it, but, you know, like the stress, it's one of those things, but, you know, a lot of time, but, you know, then part of it too is, you know, like I said, it's a necessity. Mm-hmm. You know, you got to keep, you know, putting stuff out there and everything, hoping that something, you know, your next work, you know, um, 
and stuff because comics is such a sort of long game in, in so many regards where it's like, you know, something I pitch now, right? If, let's say it gets approved. You got, you know, the reader might not see until, you know, a year, a year and a half, sometimes mm-hmm. two years from now, right? Um, so, you, you know, you're, you're pitching to get more work out there, but you're also pitching not to have any gaps, right? right. Like you're, you want something coming in the tail end of, you know, cause you're, you're trying to build momentum or, and well in your brand and your name or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and everything. Cause it's, it's just like, you know, like when the first issue of dark and bloody came out, I had been done. I'd written issue six, like two months prior to that or something like that. Right. right. So, you know, like I'd been, it was funny cause you have to sort of reacquaint yourself with it. Um, because issue one comes out and people are asking you about it and you're like, man, I wrote that like nine months ago. Uh, <laughs> like, let me think about like, cause you know, you'll get an interview and it's like, when you did this, what were you thinking? I'm like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like that was like nine months. I was, maybe I was like semi tired cause you know, my, uh, my son ran me to death that day. Or something. <laughs> you know, it's, so it's tough, you know, it's like you, I shouldn't say it's tough. It's just, a, it's an odd you know, it's an odd thing, but, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, but I mean, so that as soon as you're done with it, you're, you're moving on or while you're working on it, you're trying to, you know, like, what's the next thing? What can I, you know, mm. like, this is going to end, you know, this is a finite series, yeah. um, and it, stuff. And it, it feels like more of the, the workload has been put on the creators for that kind of thing of keeping the momentum going, even with a, a book that's put out by someone like Vertigo, it feels like it's down to to the creators to get out there and, and make the noise for, for the readers, you know, to get the, to, to rally people onto, onto the book. And yeah, I mean, it's, you know, definitely now I think it's, it's, you know, not that DC or, or anybody, you know, I don't, you know, doesn't do, doesn't push, you know, mm-hmm. push and market the stuff. But, you know, a lot of it is, Figuring out your own, you know, you figure it out out of avenues that they can't really reach too. you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, they're a big, huge company. Uh, You know, my book was, you know, one of whatever, 50 they put out that month, Mm -hmm. you know. Um, And when you're, you know, you're looking at Superman probably a little bit harder than you are, you know, some Vertigo book by, you know, a semi-unknown dude, you know what I mean? Like, you, you, you do have to have your priorities, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and stuff, but I think it is, I mean, that's one of the, one of those sort of necessary traits and one of the best traits you can have is, like, knowing how to market your work and yourself um, and finding the readers, you know, mm. um, and gaining more, you know, like each work you, you'll sort of pick up a few, you know, because, um, you've got, you know, like with hack and slash Vampirella, there's going to be people who read that book just because it's got Vampirella in it and mm. it's got hack and slash in it. Right. Yeah. Um, and they don't give a shit who I am, <laughs> you know, I probably don't know. Right. Uh, so, so you have those and then, you know, your hope is, is like, well, I hope, you know, I want to make this 
so good that they'll want to read some next time it'll be the choice to read my stuff is because I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so you're like, you know, you're collecting them, you know, it's, uh, as you're going along <laughs> stuff like dark and bloody, you know, I had a, you know, a really tiny group from Vic and Vic Boone that probably read dark and bloody because they knew me. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and were a fan of my writing. And then there's probably a, a group that just, you know, read it because it was a vertigo book. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I hope there was people who read it because, you know, somebody told them to read it or something. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, fingers crossed those people, you know, uh, at least a percentage of those will come to my next work. And so, you know, you build it until you can, you know, sort of like, oh, look, here's my readers. You know, mm-hmm. like I know, you know, and even to publishers like have faith, you know, a sense of faith in you like, oh, I this guy's can bring it's we can estimate this guy's going to bring X number of extra sales to this book. Mm-hmm. Right. Because people dig his work, um, and stuff like that. I mean, and that's the level you're sort of trying to reach, I guess, you know, is mm-hmm. that you have sort of a stable enough readership that, you know, not everything's going to be a hit, but you know, at least sell well enough that, you know, you can sort of keep doing it, yeah. doing doing this career um so to speak but yeah i mean that's and that's part of zuda taught me a lot about that uh you know marketing yourself and getting people interested in your stuff mm-hmm. and then also how to sort of like micro market um which i did i was just like because i learned that big boom like doing that and and seeing who was coming into it um like the people that were like commenting on it and stuff that the book was really popular in like, um, Belgium hmm. and, uh, in Norway and stuff. Right. Like there was this chunk of <laughs> like Norwegians really loved big boom hmm. for some reason. Right. <laughs> like, I don't know why, like I, it was some appeal to them. And then, and so I would do over that. And there was a, for a long time where I was on this, like, uh, Dutch comic website because they just like that was a uh, a thing that they were into was sort of this like noir like noir stuff that was you know had a weird spin on it yeah uh, um, and I could not speak a, le- a lick of the language but hmm. uh, I tried to use like Google Translate once to to, to sort of thank them you know for <laughs> because I had I had like found out like I was just googling to see you know I was like is anybody talking about this. And found it, and he's. They were like, "This book, you know, you should go read it and vote for it." Blah blah blah. Um, I used Google Translate, and they were just like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, oh, "I was just trying." And they were like, "Nah, most of us can speak English well enough that <laughs> you don't have to put this garbage up." And I, was, I just felt so embarrassed. <laughs> you know, but so you find out like little things like that where it's like, you know, I would have never. But yeah, there was this whole like, like that book, like. <laughs> A lot of my votes, I think, came from that. And then when we were doing Vic Boone, I think a lot of I had a lot of orders when I was just sort of selling it online from that mm. that area too. Yeah. Just, I was just like, like maybe I live in the wrong wrong country. <laughs> maybe <laughs> yeah. I'd be really popular over in that area. Yeah. Have you ever done any conventions uh, over there? No, no. I I keep thinking about it, like in you know, convincing my wife it would be a family vacation. <laughs> Just family vacation where I spent the entire time at a convention. Mm-hmm. But um, 
but no, I haven't. And beyond that, I haven't reached the level of anybody like inviting me over to do, you know, we'll fly you over here if you want to do this convention. Yeah. Uh, and stuff. But I mean, I want to. I hear they're really good. Mm-hmm. I hear good things about, you know, cons over in Europe. Yeah. Do you like going to conventions now? Any, it any depends. Um, I like doing, I do. I mean, I like, I like going to Emerald city. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a fun one. Um, and I'm comfortable enough. Like I know enough people that I can feel comfortable, like, you know, with the after con hangout and stuff and walk around. Like think the last year I did it. I don't think I did it this year. I did it last year. It was, I just walked around. I didn't have a table. Mm-hmm. Um, that was fun. It was fun not feeling like tied down to a table because I didn't really have anything. Um, I think. Well, no, I take that back. I was. I did. Like when the first few issues of The Dark and Bloody came out, I had a table. But maybe it was the second year when I did. I can't remember. Man, they all blend together. <laughs> um, but sometimes, like I, I, I'm much. I enjoy the the get, being able to get up and and just walk around mm-hmm. versus having the table. But but also you know I'm there. You know I do enjoy making the small amount of money you can take from the kind of convention. Yeah. Uh, it just depends if a convention's like really, you know, well run and and stuff. They're a joy. But if they're if they're not, then they're just like I did one in Idaho. Um, that was just like horrible. Mm-hmm. It was like a really just it was just. It was just a bad experience, you know. Um, I mean, there were some fun aspects with it because I had convinced Chris Sabella to go with me. Mm-hmm. Um, so he was locked into my misery. I mean, we were both <laughs> our miseries. But, so all the, all the hanging out with him and the road tripping and all that was like, you know, super fun. Mm-hmm. But the actual convention was just a dude. And, you know, tr- they had asked me, you know, um, if I wanted to be a guest. And I was like, yeah, sure, you know. Because they were like, we'll give you a hotel and a table. And I was like, yeah, all right. Mm. But, you know, with the explosion of sort of cons, sometimes that's what you run into. Like, you end up showing up at this place. And this place, like, this convention was, like, on a 4-H farm. Mm-hmm. So we were doing panels to, like, three people in a barn. Right? <laughs> uh, and stuff. Because it was their convention center. But it's, like, a convention center meant for, like, farm shows. Mm-hmm. Right? So it was mostly, the, you know, and it was just hot. Nobody there, I don't think, it was cared about, like you know, comics or anything. It was just there for like sightseeing kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and it was just a mess. Nobody knew what was going on or, or anything. Like all the volunteers were just oblivious to what, who should be where and why. And, um, it, you know, and that's the thing. Cause it, it, you know, nothing's stopping anybody from doing a con, you know, mm-hmm. um, sometimes, you know, you should, the first question you ask yourself is like, can I successfully, run a con do i have the organizational skills to do this yeah uh, um as opposed to like i got money i can i can get you know the six million dollar man here uh, <laughs> and stuff but for the most part i have good experiences with them you mm-hmm. know like I, i'm oddly enough i'm a bit i mean i'm an introvert but i'm also a bit shy too like i just don't i can't bring myself to just go up and randomly talk to people you yeah. know like even if I, like, oh, there's so-and-so, you know, I should go talk to that guy. If I've never met him, like, I'm just, it's not going to happen. Yeah. You know? And I've told fit people who are like, oh, I'll see you at the con. I was like, well, cool. If you see me first, just come up. Because, you know, if 
if I don't recognize you or don't, you know, don't know you, I'm not going to come say hi. Probably it's yeah. nothing against you. It's just who I am, you know, mm-hmm. uh, um, and stuff. But once, you know, that and stuff, and like I said, like, you know, especially like in old city or something, when you, when you know enough people, you can, I feel a little bit comfortable, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit more relaxed. And so they do become a little bit more enjoyable, mm-hmm. um, you know, cause you get to, you know, BS with, with, you know, people you don't always get to BS with about, you know, a story and, um, you know, comics in general and, and life sometimes too. You know? mm-hmm. hmm. um, what's your process? Oh, geez, man. Uh, <laughs> like, what is my process? Um, well, most of the time, I mean, the initial idea pops, you know, is that, and then I'll just start scribbling down. I mean, I'll devour that for a bit or, or think on it for a couple of days mm-hmm. just to make sure that I have, have something there. Like one of the things I do and, um, is is when I think of an idea initially, you know, sort of the story or whatever, no matter how thin, is I'll try to think of like three scenes mm-hmm. involving the main character, just random. They don't have to occur, and they may never even show up in the book. Um, but it's like, is there three like sort of, you know, scenes in this um, book? And mm-hmm. if they pop pretty easily, then I know I've got something there. Um, and if they don't, I'll probably set it to the side. Mm-hmm. Like if I just can't get, because for me, it just sort of, I didn't learn it from anybody. It's just always been what I've done. I mean, you know, it's a something I noticed like, oh, this kind of like works out when I do this. Um, is like figuring out those three scenes or seeing them or visualizing that. Like there's also a way for me to know, like I know, I kind of know that character. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. I'm. Fam- I, I've got enough here that there's. I can see things happening, you know, um, and stuff like that. But anyway, um, so when I feel like something needs to go down, I'll just start. I'll start writing out little bits and pieces or whatever, um, trying to build towards you know sort of what what would be a you know a one page pitch. But mostly it's just sort of you know me asking myself questions. Um, like what's you know what's what's the sort of the initial pitch what's the longer story you know stuff like that where you know kind of what is it going to end or um and stuff and then from there i just start writing um in these little composition notebooks Mm -hmm. just um you know sort of character descriptions or things that i want you know to happen and then i'll start writing like actual like panels and pages and um Sometimes if one comes in, you know, into mind and then, uh, and then if I know what the first, like if it's going to be a six issue miniseries or an ongoing, I usually like try to outline like at least the first six issues. Um, cause outlines are super important. I mean, for a number of reasons and they don't have to be like super detailed either. Sometimes I'm just like writing, you know, even when I outline an issue, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I'll write down like one through 22 or whatever, you know, whatever the page count is mm-hmm. and just like give myself points to where I need to get to, you know, like not lock anything in like, Oh, this is, this scene's going to take three pages. It's just, I'm like, uh, it might take three pages, but what comes after that, you know, so mm-hmm. that way I can move stuff around. 
but outlining just it gives you it lets you know where you're going you know so you sort of outline six issues you know what happens in each issue and then you what happens in this issue what happens in this issue what's the end you know um and it makes it so much easier because i've done it like i've written stuff without an outline and it's just super difficult Hmm. um because you don't if you don't know where you're if you don't know what the end goal is, then you're just sort of like treading water. Mm-hmm. You know, you, um, trying to figure it out, like I, you know, and again, like I said, I've I've done it before. Um, because you're just like, ah, I know it. I'll I'll sit down, and then you you realize you're on page like sixteen, mm-hmm. and you still don't know where. <laughs> you know, where how do I end this? Right? Like I'm I'm here now. I've only got six pages to sort of you know, wrap this up, you know, mm-hmm. um, and it lets you get the big beats out of the way too. You know, you know, like what's, this, you know, where's this going to land and stuff? And is there, you know, does issue two still have as much weight as issue like five Yeah, or something, you know, you don't want any sort of filler issues and stuff. And, um, but yeah, from that, I mean, it's just like sort of, I mean, so now these days I don't, I might not go to the notebook until after I pitch something, mm-hmm. you know, like, cause it's just sort of like, I mean, it depends on if I have any other stuff to work on. Um, uh, you know, if I'm, if I've got nothing else on my plate, then I might start just by like, screw it. You know, I believe in this idea enough that I know I'll do it at some point, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be now or, you know, two years from now. Yeah. Um, and stuff, but you know, a lot, a lot of times I just build towards that, you know, I build up enough information that I feel comfortable. Like I can pitch this and I'm not going to get screwed if they say yes. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, though, like if <laughs> though that sometimes happens too, cause you know, you'll have an editor or somebody say like, Hey, can you, why don't you pitch me some stuff? Right. Mm-hmm. Send me just a couple of sentences or what do you got? Um, if you, even if you ask, you know, like, Hey, can I pitch you some stuff? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think me and Sabella have talked about this, Christopher Sabella, um, where you'll send like three or four things. And the, the one thing that you haven't thought really through, you just kind of threw on at the end, right. To make it like an even number, <laughs> like, ah, whatever it's, whatever this is always the one they'll pick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it really is never, I don't. I don't think it's ever failed. Like anytime I've done that, it's always the one they were like, I really like that one. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I have no idea. That is literally the only two sentences I've ever written about that. <laughs> you know? So then you're trying to scramble and figure it out um, and stuff. And uh, like I had the worst experience the other day in, in that regard was like, I tweeted out logos as I do mm-hmm. um, a lot for just nothing, nothing, you know, sometimes there's ideas I have. Sometimes they're just like turn, you know, a title I thought of or some story I'll figure out later. And an editor saw one was like, man, I'm, I'm intrigued. What do you, what is that about? And I had nothing mm-hmm. like I, I was just like, uh, it's could be. And then I was like, oh man, let me, I'll get you something like before the end of the week. Right. You just mm-hmm. try to buy yourself time. Like, oh man, let me, I haven't written anything up about it. Uh, and this isn't lying folks. This is just extending the truth. <laughs> so you're like, I haven't written, you know, I, I'll have to write it down, man. You know, it's just mostly all in my head. Um, 
and you get caught up like, well, what was it that intrigued? What did what did they think this was about? Mm-hmm. Right? And it's the same, you know, with those little snippets when you throw in something like it's whatever, you know, it's aliens in blah blah blah, and they're whatever, you know, and you just kind of you know, tossed it on, you know, at the end, they're like, oh, that sounds interesting, and then you're kind of like, well, what about it? What do they think the story is going to be? And you can't do that, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, I've said it before, you can't. You know, you, you just have to do whatever you feel like, you know, whatever it is and hope that that was, you know, it. it's like, cool, OK, this is exactly what I thought, you know, or this mm-hmm. is not what I picked up from what you were telling me. <laughs> you know, this is not what I expected this to turn into. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there you go. <laughs> but, yeah, my process is, I mean, it's pretty boring. You know, I think I don't listen to music. Um make this podcast as scatterbrained as possible uh <laughs> i don't listen to music when i write um a lot of my writing friends have always sort of like are shocked by that but i, I just don't i can't mm-hmm. um i've never been able to do it like my my perfect situation is me in my office with complete silence mm-hmm. um like you know part of it is I, like i i play music you know i'm I mean, musician in the sense that I play instruments, you know, mm-hmm. um, not in the sense that I'm super good at everything, but I play in bands and everything. Um, and so part of it is like I always found music distracting mm. uh, because I get into the music because I love music a lot that I'll end up being. I'll find myself just like, oh, man, this, you know, this cor- the chorus on the song is really great mm-hmm. uh, um, or whatnot. And so I don't do music. And then it's just, you know, it's just me setting and and you know, writing and stuff um, mm-hmm. and trying to build that story, you know, and drinking coffee probably more than I should. Or something. <laughs> uh, but I, and then, you know, there's walks thrown in. I find walks are really good to, mm-hmm. to sort of battle the brain if you're stuck on something. But, you know, yeah, it's just building something that you, you know, you think is good enough to pitch to somebody and then hope they think it's good enough to actually make into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, so along with the uh, the Vampirella uh, hack, hack slash uh, stuff, what else have you got coming up and where can people find you? Um, let's see. I'm working on a creator-owned thing with Chris Debari mm-hmm. uh, right now that we've... Working title is called Summoner. Um, and that's a case of like, a, you know, we just... It all just came together, you know, sort mm-hmm. of fell ass backwards into the pudding, as they say. Uh, I tweeted out something. Somebody was like, you, you know, you writing that in Chris Debari, you know, drawing it would be cool. And then me and him started talking. You know, we, we didn't even follow each other um, hmm. for any reasons. I just, you know, um, I'm really horrible at the Twitter stuff. Uh like I realized the other day I was that I'd been talking to this guy forever and I'd never followed him. Um, and I just felt really bad that I had, and it wasn't like, you know, I didn't feel like he was unworthy. It was just, I just thought I was following him and didn't, mm-hmm. but anyway, um, uh, so, uh, Twitter anxiety. Um, <laughs> so we, you know, started DMing each other and he had, it's like, ah, oh, you know, blah, blah, blah. You know, I don't get too many insider secrets or whatever, but, um, He'd had this thing that he was sort of, you know, filling around with, and we just decided to work together on it. It's just mm-hmm. been coming together really well. And, 
Um, it's all really quick clicking really nicely, um, which is always like the best the best feeling when you, you sort of stumble into, you know, this collaboration and then you're like, man, this is, wow, we, we sort of have the same thoughts on this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't going to be too much of a, you know, a struggle. Um, because you'll run into that. I mean, sometimes when you're working on, you know, something with somebody, you it's just, it doesn't click, you know, you, you try and try and then just, it's like, man, we're just not meant to, you know, I don't think I would be doing you any good and you wouldn't be doing me any good mm-hmm. on this. It's not like you don't, you know, you hate each other or something like that. It's just like, we're not, you know, for this particular project, we don't see eye to eye or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've got that. Um, I am working on, um, a Vic boom Kickstarter mm-hmm. that hoping to launch in the next few, few months, um, and stuff with, uh, Sebastian, man, I'm always horrible about last names. Um, let me see. Hold on, because I, I have to get his last name right, or I'll feel like an ass. <laughs> um, Perez, I think. Mm-hmm. Let me make sure. Um, talking on the computer, trying to. Yeah, Perez. Um, and so he's doing the pages now. They're coming out beautiful. Like his stuff is just looking really good. He's a perfect fit for Vic Boone. And that's just going to be like a little 48 page one shot mm-hmm. um, that we kickstart or, you know, pretty low budget for it. Um, and then other than that, it's just working on stuff, pitching. I've, I've got a couple of pitches in at places that I'm hoping, you know, get the, the get, get the green light. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that's about it. I mean, other than that, it's, you know, the struggle, the struggle continues, uh, you know, just trying to, to figure out ways to get work out there to get, you know, pitches going and stuff like that. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's what me and, you know, this thing that Christian and I are doing is, uh, you know, we'll pitch as a creator own series, um, to, to somebody, you know, it'll come out. I think, I think we both love the, the idea so much now that it will, you know, there's a lot of enthusiasm for it, but, mm-hmm. uh, but yeah, beyond that, I mean, it's nothing, you know, nothing that I can like be like, Hey, I've got this coming, you know, here's a solid release date. You mm-hmm. know, it's Vampirello run for, you know, Vampirello hack and slash will run from, you know, October, uh, through whatever, whatever five months after that is, um, and then hopefully, hopefully there'll be something else coming out to the end of that, you know, with Vic Boone thrown in between all that. And, uh, mm-hmm. so Vic Boone, I think, will be before the end of the year. Um, like I said, I've just got a uh, Sebastian's finishing up the the few pages that we're going to use, you know, as for the like preview thing, and then then it's just me sort of figuring out, you know, what the the awards will be or rewards or. Um, the numerous ways I can get you to, to donate money to this, this project, I guess, <laughs> uh, and everything like that. And then, you know, right now just, yeah, that's, that's the size of it and working on, you know, concepts for the future. Um, mm-hmm. and everything hoping we've, me and this other artist, uh, Sarah have this sort of children's graphic novel and going through, you know, sort of making the rounds with an agent, that mm-hmm. book publisher. So hopefully that'll get, I'd like to see that come out. Um, 
I really wish I could have just afford to pay her to draw it, you know, because I think it would be good. But because uh, um, it's a nice sort of, you know, all ages fun book, you mm-hmm. know. And it has an animal sidekick in it, so yeah. <laughs> oh, it's like on the top of my list of books to put out. Um, that's what I should do. Is just a book that's all animal sidekicks, mm-hmm. like animal sidekicks retired from like their their sidekicking gigs or something. <laughs> um, go all Garth Ennis on it, make it super dark and weird. Um, but yeah, I mean that's you know that's that's the size of it. You know, nothing. I'm not you know. There's no. Uh, I'm not writing Superman in six months or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a I got a miniseries coming out from you know whatever, but it's all good. I mean that's what you sign up for. Mm-hmm. Um, that comes with the territory, you know. Mm. Well, Sean, thank you very much for for talking and uh, for joining me. Oh well, thanks for having me, man. It's been fun. Yeah, it's been really good. And um, uh, you're on Twitter. And yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook, both at, I think, Sean Aldridge. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think Facebook has the I in the middle. Um, I have a Tumblr page, but I never I never update it. Uh, I also have an Instagram, but there's only like one one picture of Mr. Miracle on it. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to get better about the Instagram, but I'm just like, man, you know, what do you? I, yeah, I guess I could tweet out or gram i suppose <laughs> i can gram some some stuff up with my dogs and my kid but mm-hmm. you know on that um you know it's not like i'm you know i guess i could post these silly logos i do but, <laughs> but twitter is usually my probably my most active spot right now so yeah. at sean Aldridge, you know whatever and you can come you can come experience my random like obscured DC character pitches and uh, sometimes Marvel pitches mm-hmm. where I just <laughs> suddenly stumble on gentleman ghost. I could totally do something really cool with this guy. <laughs> uh, you know, but you know, if that's your idea of fun, come on over, come give me a follow. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, thank you again. All right. Thanks, man. That's it for the show. We'll be back in two weeks. You can find us online at whoiampodcast.com and contact us by email at whoiam at gmail.com or by phone at 818-308-4066. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, there is a submissions form on the site. We're also on iTunes where you can leave a rating if you feel inclined. Thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jamie Gamble, and this was This Is Who I Am. <laughs>